Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Every weekend before Thanksgiving, the Halifax International Security Forum convenes in Halifax, Nova Scotia for one of the world's most important conferences that brings together political, diplomatic, military, uh, as well as civil society leaders uh, to discuss ways to improve democracy around the planet. Later in the program, we'll be joined by Dr. Kathleen McInnes of the Center for Strategic and International Studies with her takeaways from this year's uh, conference. And one of the great things about Halifax is that it is a conference that we end up discussing over the course of the entire year. Daryl, thanks so very much uh, for joining us. And I'm so sorry again that I couldn't make it to this year's uh, forum. It looks like it was a, a tremendous event as always. Yeah, it was terrific. And your presence was absolutely lacking. It's an opportunity for you and I to get together. We do it at least once a year. And and that was something that I did miss this year. Uh, in, in Indeed. Uh, and I just have to say it is, uh, you know, I just say this all the time. Uh, I think Peter and the team do an incredible job. And it is really a unique, unique, unique and very special uh, event. Uh, in a very special country, uh, for, for which I have a tremendous affinity. Uh, every year, uh, Ipsos uh, and your great team worldwide uh, put a security survey together that is really a flagship uh, document. You guys talked this year to 23,000 people in 30 uh, countries. Uh, give us a little bit of the top-line findings about, uh, findings about the countries they trust when it comes to security and those they don't. And I have to say, as a Canadian, you should be pretty proud. Yeah, I am uh, that uh, um, th that we get to do this this survey for for the Halifax International Security Forum. Both proud as a Canadian that the forum actually takes place in Canada, but also as a Canadian being the the person who directs the survey. Uh, but that's one of those things that's kind of unusual in a global economy. Uh, I happen to head public affairs at at Ipsos. But uh, and I, I happen to live in Canada, but it's got nothing to do with being Canadian. It's, <laughs> it's just uh, it's just the way the global economy works these days. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it, it's uh, it's a really good survey. It's something we've been doing for a decade for the Halifax International Security Forum, and you know patterns start to emerge over time. Uh, when you do a survey this long, particularly when you ask questions that you uh, consistently over time. And what you do see in, in this survey um, is a reflection of what's going on in the news and, and to the degree to which people feel that this might potentially have an effect on them or, or is having an effect on them. What we saw in this year's survey was that things have kind of trended back to where they were Prior to some more recent, I would say, spiky events like the war in, war in Ukraine or the COVID pandemic, things have kind of settled down a little bit. And we've gone a bit back to the patterns that we were seeing before in which we're seeing uh, a, a very strong interest in, in cyber hacking and people feeling the, the threat from cyber hacking, but also a steady rise of concern about natural disasters being a big threat that's facing a country, particularly in the United States, for example, which does see natural disasters as the biggest threat facing the, the country. Um, let me uh, take you, uh, you know, you gave us sort of the top line on what folks were focused on. Uh, talk to us about the country uh, and countries most trusted with international security and as international uh, security actors uh, first. And then I want to get your take on the countries that are least trusted, which I don't think will necessarily surprise anyone. 
So the countries that are most trusted uh, at the top of the list are Canada, which tends to get it every year. Um, and that's not because I'm a Canadian and fix the results. It's just what happens to come out. Um, and Germany was uh, a second this year. But right after that, interestingly enough, not a country, uh, the European Union hmm. um, had, had a very good year. Um, the United States tends to be in the middle of the pack and, the, and, and is more controversial um, uh, player in the international sphere. That shouldn't be a, a surprise to anybody. But uh, its numbers have remained stable uh, since the election of Joe Biden. We did see a, a pretty strong drop in the credibility of the United States in international affairs with the election of Donald Trump the last time around. The U.S. peeled off about 14 or 15 points. But interestingly enough, it came back uh, when, when Joe Biden was elected. And we haven't seen that that's uh, either gone up or down significantly since then. Um, but those are the ones that are at the top of the list. And uh, what are the uh, what are the countries that are at the bottom of the list? Should be no surprise that uh, Iran, uh, again, uh, is, is at the bottom of the list. But you also see countries like Pakistan not doing very well. Um, Russia is right down at the bottom of the list. Uh, it's, it's one of those countries that, again, experienced a real hit as a result of uh, a specific global event, that being uh, the invasion of Ukraine. They lost about 10 or 12 points overnight and have never come back. Um, also in the middle of the list uh, tends to be China. Uh, which took a big uh, a big dip around in 2019 with COVID and and never really has come back. The one country that's at near the bottom of the list, not at the very bottom of the list, uh, that remains so this year is Israel, which is a very controversial country in in world affairs. Uh, but the, the survey was finished on unfortunately October the sixth, uh, not October the seventh. Uh, so we don't get we didn't get much of a read. But you know I have been watching the polls pretty closely at Ipsos, the country polls that we've been doing. Um, in the United States, Canada, and, and other places. And, and we do see that uh, Israel's reputation is taking uh, a hit as a result of what's going on with the war. We saw probably a bit of an increase just after um, the events of October 7th in terms of the uh, uh, sympathy for, for, for Israel uh, and, and Israelis. But uh, since the, the, uh, um, uh, the, the action in Gaza, uh, we're now seeing a decline. And, and, you know, in fact, we had some polling out in the last couple of days on this in the United States. And, you know, there's a, it's, it's pretty controversial. Um, I should uh, point out also that the people of Israel uh, received uh, the McCain Prize uh, for their solidarity and national unity in the wake of the October uh, seven. Uh, uh, terror uh, attacks uh, by Hamas, uh, right? So where that built a degree of international sympathy, the response uh, has also, I mean, would you characterize that correctly that, you know, post October 7, there was more goodwill toward Israel and the plight that Israelis and the horrors they'd gone to, whereas it was the response that is, uh, that some deem to be very indiscriminate, that has then tilted public opinion uh, against Israel in that wake. Yeah, that's in fact, that's what we're seeing. The longer this goes on, um, the, the more difficult the public opinion environment is for for Israel. In fact, national opinions, you know, in places like, for example, the United States, uh, the uh, the administration, uh, their um, their position on this is a controversial one with the American public and growing more controversial every day. Um, do we um, just, and I'm going to get to the survey in a second, but I know that you guys do a whole series of both SNAP and other surveys. There is a lot of concern in the United States that for a whole confluence of reasons, that Joe Biden is actually very vulnerable this time to losing to Donald Trump. Uh, and that how, uh, you know, 
the U.S. As, as seen by some in the public, the unquestioning support for Israel, even though the United States drew close to Israel to be able to better shape uh, um, Israeli officials and, and take a more tempered approach, perhaps, um, that, that the U.S. response is alienating younger people, alienating American uh, Muslims and American Arabs. How, how would you characterize that dynamic that, uh, and, and how that's reflecting in American politics now? Yeah. And by the way, that dynamic you just described just doesn't apply to America. You're seeing it in many other countries like the UK, Canada, other people, uh, other countries that have had a uh, uh, an influx of, uh, of uh, uh, diasporas from from the Middle East or from from middle uh, from from Muslim countries. Uh, it is the younger generations. Those those groups tend to be younger than the older generation that are the ones that seem to be most um, troubled by what they're seeing uh, in, in terms of their government positions on on, on Israel, which, uh, by the way, have mostly been in support of Israel in many of those countries. So, yeah, it's 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 a, a thing we haven't really seen before, uh, but it's definitely there. As far as Joe Biden is concerned, um, uh, this is another messy issue, and it seems like anything that's messy gets attached to him. So when you take a look at the top issues that are affecting Americans and what they most want to vote on, uh, they, they tell us are most important for their vote. Things like, for example, inflation in the economy and immigration. They're all issues on which his opponents do better. So uh, Biden um, has a um, uh, an issue with Americans just in terms of his, his own personal leadership. There's a, a prevailing view among American voters that he is uh, um, he, he is old for the job. Uh, correct or not, um, uh, there is this prevailing view. And then the second part of it is that uh, on the major issues that are confronting American voters, that his opponent performs better. So it, he is in a difficult position. And it's not just our polling that's showing this. I mean, there's been several polls over the last period of time that have uh, that have shown uh, that uh, Donald Trump and the Republicans, uh, particularly in the swing states in the United States, are, are, are doing better than the president is right now. Um, let me uh, bring you back uh, to uh, the forum. Uh, the forum has a remarkable ability to focus attention on challenges as well as analyze the past year, right? And what does the past year tell us about uh, what's to come in the future? And this year, there was a laser focus on Ukraine. And indeed, uh, the, the um, 2022 forum also had a very significant focus uh, on Ukraine uh, as well. And it was uh, during that that, uh, you know, Secretary Austin gave a tremendous address uh, at the end of uh, 2022, uh, you know, which was really seen as the administration's seriousness with which it was pursuing um, support for Ukraine. Where do you see Daryl's support for Ukraine globally? Uh, because there is a little bit of fatigue playing in a sense of stalemate now as we approach two years uh, or, you know, 20 months or whatever it is, 20 plus months. You could really feel the same thing in the room, um, not just because I knew what the public opinion results are on war in Ukraine, um, uh, but you could you could feel it in the room. I mean, you were there last year, Vago. It was more, uh, you know, appreciation from the Ukrainians uh, to, to uh, for everybody to say, um, so thank you, you know, for for supporting Ukraine and its war against Russia, and uh, you know a, a really strong plea for um, uh, uh, for new weapons. And you know there was it, it, it was all about the nature of how Ukraine was going to be assisted. I found this year the tone was more of "Don't give up on us." In other words, uh, we 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 have a feeling that maybe some of you are waiting because there was a lot of Ukrainian officials and. Ukrainian NGO people and, and others who were there in the in the uh, in the um, 
I would say that the conversation felt a little more desperate this year. Uh, sad, uh, sadly. Uh, and let me ask you about India. Um, the uh, One of the reasons I think Canada has uh, the reputation it does for a small country that punches well above its weight is that it is seen a nation that it's seen as a nation that is driven by conscience. And oftentimes we'll say stuff, uh, especially during the, the Trump years, uh, that kind of need to be said on the world stage. Um, and there have been a lot of questions about India, uh, which purports itself to be the world's largest democracy. And in many ways it is, but it's been also growing more authoritarian. And it took uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to call India out on this in a way that other the United States is reluctant uh, to do, and that's for having killed a Sikh activist uh, on Canadian soil, uh, a, a Canadian Sikh. Um, how how does India stand, and what does your polling tell us? Because in India, everybody sees what they want to see, maybe as opposed to the reality, uh, right? I mean, the United States wants India as a strategic counterweight to China, so it's very reluctant to criticize it. What, what does your polling tell you at a time when India is trying to play a, a, a resurgent and more global role? Uh, I think the, the the point on it, a resurgent and global role, I, I don't think that they ever re- had anything to surge from. They're, they're, they're sort of, they're, they're, they're kind of newly established. Uh, they're a, right. definitely above China, um, competitive with the United States in terms of, of global, uh, uh, global opinion. Um, but uh, what's interesting in the numbers for India is they tend to be among the most negative about the West. So, for example, in Canada, uh, we, we ask people, um, how do you feel about various countries? And I mean, you know, who doesn't like Canada usually would be something to say. Well, there are some countries that don't like Canada, but uh, right at the bottom of the list is India. And, and Canada's uh, impressions of Canada in India this year have declined by 25%, which is one of the biggest moves that we've seen for any country on any other country, population from one country in its regard to, to another country. So Canada took a, a hammering, but, but the United States didn't do particularly well either. They're down 16 points with Indians. So I think there's a combination of specific events, but also this view that maybe India needs to be taken more seriously by some of these other countries. And if you look at what's happened in India over the space of the last few years, uh, you know, landing, uh, um, you know, uh, space vehicles on the moon, uh, you know, do, uh, they're now the most populous country in the world. They passed, they've passed China. Uh, there's a, there's a sense of ascendancy in India rather than I, I would say reestablishing anything. There's a sense of uh, India being ascendant and uh, maybe not uh, a bit of a rubbing back against uh, 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 the maybe dismissiveness of some other countries and, and uh, bridling at that a little bit. And I think maybe that's what we're seeing in the numbers. Uh, and and uh, just in about uh, 30 uh, seconds, what can the United States do to impact its overall ranking, right? I mean, if you look at the difference between Trump and President Biden, whatever you want to say has generally, you know, burnished, you know, organizing nations to better stand up to China, led the global response uh, to the Ukraine crisis. What are some things the United States could and should be doing to increase that ranking? Because to say the United States and India are closer and China are all sort of roughly grouped together is kind of a problematic result, isn't it? Well, you know, it's, it is interesting. Uh, I would say the diversity of views on the United States are stronger than it is for other some, some of these other countries. So you got a lot of lovers and you got a lot of haters, right? So somewhere in the middle, 
the, the average, you know, as they say, you know, you're, if, if your head's in the oven and your feet in the freezer, uh, in, in the middle, you're feeling fine. And that's kind of where the American, the United States is. It's not because there's a consensus like there is on so many other countries that this is not like, for example, Canada, that they're, that it's, it's, a, it's a positive force in world affairs. And, and most people agree with that with a couple of exceptions. The United States opinion is much more divided. So it's, it's lower. I would say on the, some of these other countries, for example, China, there aren't as many people who like China. So their average right. is, is tends to be uh, the, the spread of the of, of people's opinions tends to be narrower. So the United States is actually not in, in, in horrible shape on this. And it's interesting that now we've had time to have three presidents through the course of this survey. And we've seen the effect really of only one. There's a, there's kind of a level uh, set when the United States is behaving reasonably in the world that's in, in the in the upper middle of the pack but it, it's very difficult for it to get to the very top Daryl thanks so very much for joining us really uh, appreciate it look forward to having you on the program more regularly because it's always a treat uh, to have you on thanks uh, uh, very much and uh, hope uh, you uh, you have a little bit of a Thanksgiving glow uh, on Thursday even though you guys celebrated on a different day than we do you mean the correct day yes uh, that's right, because <laughs> you have a lot to be thankful as a, as a Canadian. You guys have a great neighbor, and so do we. Yeah, and, and we do. Thank you very much. And a quick word from our sponsors. Our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. HII sponsors our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage. And joining me now is another dear friend, Dr. Kathleen McGinnis, who directs the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Uh, and she was fortunate enough to uh, actually have attended the Halifax Forum along with uh, Daryl uh, earlier in the program. Kathleen, always a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so much for making time for us. Oh, thank you for having me. I am uh, sorry, unfortunately, that this year uh, I was unable to join uh, the team up at Halifax, but it was a terrific conference, uh, as it always is, uh, and much more specifically focused uh, on uh, Ukraine. Uh, Peter Van Praag, uh, who uh, runs the forum with his terrific team, uh, gives a keynote address, and this time his focus on the idea of the cranks, China, Russia, uh, Iran, North Korea, as you know, and, and the importance of dealing with all of these threats in a more unified fashion as opposed to a separate one, given that they're, we're seeing that they're increase, increasingly uh, colluding, uh, and of course, the people of Israel winning uh, the McCain prize uh, for uh, leadership, which is always uh, another uh, keynote element. From your standpoint, what were what were the key moments of the conference that jumped out at you this year? Well, I think at the outset, I mean, the, the big macro takeaway was how important you, a Ukrainian victory is to the overall survival and health of democracies around the world. They did a really clever thing in putting together the agenda. They essentially smashed Ukraine against a variety of different problems like climate change, um, the, 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 what they called the crinks, as you just mentioned, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, um, and Sort of, sort of let the the panelists sort of find, figure out, feel through the implications and interconnections of the issues, and it was a powerful moment of 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 as Peter van Prague put it towards the end, a powerful moment of moral clarity. Um, I think there's a lot of fatigue. I mean, obviously, we're seeing it on Capitol Hill 
about Ukraine and, you know, questions as to whether or not Ukrainians really have a shot here. And what Halifax underscored for all of us is that this complacence or this apathy is unacceptable if we care about the survival of democracy globally. The the, the front line is in Ukraine uh, versus the Russians in this illegal war that the Russians have uh, decided to conduct. And so we need to hold the line there. Uh, there are a lot of concerns about whether or not we have the staying power. Obviously, Vladimir Putin is counting on us weakening. Uh, I've spoken to senior military people, senior political leaders, uh, senior uh, government leaders uh, in the United States and elsewhere, and they always make the case that, look, it's imperative and we are going to back Ukraine no matter what, even if it's a stalemate now. There'll be a fighting season next year, and it's imperative for us to help them improve. Was What, what was the sense uh, in uh, the audience? Right? I mean, the greatest thing about Halifax is because of its structure. You end up rubbing with literally everybody in that conference mm -hmm. over over yeah. the course, you know, whether from the lobster dinner to the late night, the night owl sessions to the Saturday dinners uh, and the breakfasts and, and everything else. What was the sense that people had? Um, are we running out of staying power? I don't think that anybody in the audience at Halifax um was feeling the the decline of of staying power in themselves, right? Um, but there is concern that in you know broad swaths of the American population that that the Ukraine apathy is beginning to metastasize. And so, what do we do about that? And what might it mean? I think the the congressional delegation that attended made it clear that you know democracy is a messy process. There's some things that have to be worked through. Um, some discussion of linkage of, of Ukraine and Israel support to borders and starting to think through those sorts of trade spaces. Um, so it remains to be seen. But I think everybody at the event themselves was like, yeah, I mean, continuing to support Ukraine matters. How do we carry our publics in order to do so? That's the next question. Uh, and of course, one of the things that Peter does uh, so well is is take that, right? What are the takeaways? What are the assignments over the next year? Uh, go forth and make this case uh, and mm -hmm. you know, make these connections and, and, and try to sell the importance of supporting Ukraine if we care about democracy uh, around the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and and if, I, if I may add real quick, so it was an interesting juxtaposition for me during this, this trip because I had um, been in London just prior to this uh, talking with some of the folks in the banking and finance world. And in discussions with them, the the, the challenge of authoritarianism, the, the challenge that China presents, the need to de-risk, that's my, my view from those conversations is that that need and, 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 and that perspective is not, it's not being absorbed by the, the world of finance. In other words, um, the world of finance is not understanding why we need to do de-risking, why we need to be much more cautious with, with China. And so, once again, Halifax is a useful corrective to the discussion to say, you know, these challenges are interrelated, if only at the very macro level that these are authoritarian regimes that are trying to undermine everything that we hold dear. And it se seems sort of cheesy to say it that way. But it's true. And so um, but there's 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 so many more actors in our um, civil space, in, in our finance world, our business, banking and others that, that that aren't understanding are not seeing that bigger picture that we are. And so there's a lot of work to be done there. 
Um, let me uh, take you, uh, obviously, uh, to uh, the horrific attacks uh, on October 7 by Hamas uh, against uh, Israel uh, and Israelis. Uh, still more than 200 hostages being held, a lot of negotiations uh, to free them. Uh, Israel coming under some international criticism, obviously, for its response uh, in its military operation to eradicate Hamas and, and a threat. Uh, the McCain Prize uh, each year is a highlight moment, um, whether it's going to the democracy uh, advocates in Hong Kong or to the people of Ukraine this year, it was uh, to um, Israel's uh, population for having come together in the wake of uh, a horrific uh, series uh, of attacks, while at the same time, the forum kind of making the case with the keynote address by uh, and conversation with Ehud Barak, uh, Israel's former uh, prime minister, to make the case for why lasting peace depends on a two-state solution, something that he tirelessly worked toward. Give us a sense on on that element, October 7, and how that was reflected in in the conference, because there are parallels that just as that uh, Ukraine is fighting for its existence, the president uh, has made that case that Israel too is fighting for its existence. We have to figure out a durable uh, solution uh, there. Give us give us your sense on 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 what the takeaways from those conversations were. You you just nailed it, right? That these the the commonality uh, between the two is that you've got actors for whom war crimes is their way of war, uh, waging horrific violence against uh, democratic states. And is Israel perfect? Uh, has it had some serious uh, issues? Absolutely. But Hamas uh, is awful. <laughs> so um, coming through and and underscoring that under no circumstances is this kind of just war crimes, these kinds of atrocities, okay. And and we, we need to be holding the line. As I keep saying, like, there is a line that is being drawn between authoritarian um, actors and democracies. And we are now, I mean, and I think we're going to continue to be tested in different ways around the world. Different actors, like the, what they call the cranks, are using force to, to communicate their messages and to make it harder for our democratic societies to exist in in the ways that we we know and love, um, we got to get ready. Um, we're likely to be experiencing a lot more geopolitical turmoil in the coming years. Buckle up. Uh, and and one one last thing, right? Halifax is also good because you get these ancillary things that you'd never thought about that somebody mentions to you, somebody you wouldn't normally be, you know, interacting and talking to. What was your sort of interesting Halifax moment, right? I mean, there are the big ahas and the big speeches, but then every once mm-hmm. in a while, it's a small interaction, you know, over lobster that makes you go, really? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what would be my Halifax moment? Or thank goodness, right? I mean, it can be both uplifting mm-hmm. or, or positively, you know, ter- <laughs> terrifying. You know, I really had a great, you know, inspiring moment talking to the Peace with Women fellows that were there. Um, how how sharp they are, um, because they're these outstanding military officers. They've just come off of a three week engagement um trip around the united states and um their nato officers doing amazing things um but the they 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 had um one of the fellows did a you know a, a remarks for on behalf of the entire group and 
they did think they linked things like um, the need for intersectional approaches to national security problems is probably going to be the way forward to thinking through some of these crazy challenges. Now, when you say intersectional, uh, most people in the policy and defense world like want to run screaming out of the room, and with with good reason. It's it's like um, some heavy stuff that that sometimes gets a little bit you know into ivory tower navel gazing but i think that the overall point is that yeah we need to be thinking about things in a much more lateral creative way um and it was really awesome to see these powerful military leaders um embracing that and thinking how thinking through how they can operationalize it in their respective commands uh, I think uh, that among the many good works uh, of the forum, that's really a particularly uh, important one. And it's uh, just absolutely terrific that they do that. And it's astonishing that in 2023, right, uh, we're uh, having, uh, you know, having to do this and to highlight some of these issues and to do the kind of work we have to do. But it's important work because we're, you know, as you know, uh, through the Smart Power, Smart Women Initiative, um, it's, there's a lot of work there to be done. Kathleen, uh, keep up the great work. Uh, always an honor and pleasure having you on the program. And I wish you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving uh, and look forward to having you back on the program very soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. And thanks to all of you for joining us. We appreciate it very much. And a special thanks to all of our sponsors who make this program possible. Tune in again tomorrow for our last program before the Thanksgiving holiday. Until then, have a great day and we'll see you soon.